This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I mentioned this morning, tonight we're going to begin a short series uh, where God has burdened my heart to address some areas related to our young people, their futures in Christian education. I'm quite certain as I speak tonight that the vast majority of parents hearing this message would agree that we have a God-given responsibility to Christian educate our young people, our children. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 78, this is one of the key passages in the Scripture that teaches what we're going to be looking at. We're not going to... Uh, be able to develop this text tonight, but I do want to read it. The 78th Psalm, notice verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. Now, let me just stop for a moment. A few weeks ago, we talked about the mysteries of God. Our great God, His great mind, the truth that He has stored up, some of which, not most of which, some of which He has revealed to us in His, in his mercy, His grace these dark sayings that now we can understand. Uh, God's plan of redemption, his plan for the ages. He's revealed those, and the writer here says, looking back, our fathers have told us these things. They've taught us what God has taught them. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generations to come the praises of the Lord, of his strength, and his wonderful works that he hath done. How he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. So God chose the patriarchs, not perfect men. And to mention Jacob here is just a reminder of God's grace. What a character he was. I can relate with him. But he established a testimony in through Jacob and then appointed a law in Israel. Israel. How did we get God's law? It was through those patriarchs and their descendants, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. Are you seeing a consistent pattern here? What God has done, what we've been taught, and that what we need to share with our children. Thou hast, uh, let me get my place here, I'm sorry. Verse 6, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God. Our Sunday school classes for the children here, what is done in the youth group, it's not just to fill young people's minds with Bible facts. It's to teach them about their God so that they will set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God, but keep his what? Commandments. Simply so that they'll live for him, follow him, 
follow his word. Our burden should be that by the power of God, our young people have an owned faith. Not just, well, this is what our family believes, this is what my parents talk about, but where each of you young people, having been trained and taught about your parents' God, you are willing to declare, he is my God and I will follow him no matter what. And own faith. And by the way, you need to own that faith. Why? Because according to Psalm 1, it will prosper you. And according to Psalm 1, it will protect you for the glory of God. The blessed man does not listen to the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in what? The law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Whatever he does then will prosper. He won't be like the chaff which the wind drives away. Imagine a life given by God to bless and a life that can return glory to God, but that life ultimately being nothing but worthless chaff. That's the life that doesn't follow God. And yet, in spite of what we've just talked about, we're seeing a reality in the church that should be a wake-up call to pastors and parents alike. According to Steve Henderson, president of Christian Consulting for Colleges and Ministries, Inc., nearly half a million Christian high school seniors each year could qualify for admission to a Christian college. Half a million. Think about how that would add to God's army every year if they owned their faith and they were just willing to follow God, trained to be the best they can be for him to do whatever God has called them to be. Sadly, of that half a million, only 15% attend any kind of Christian college. Although only 15% attend Christian college, most professing Christian young people who graduate high school do attend an institution of higher learning. They do go somewhere to college. Henderson discovered in his research that, quote, most of the change in students' attitudes and behaviors takes place during the first year away from home. Then he says this, those attending public versus independent Protestant institutions, for example, experience nearly four times the drop in church attendance and 15 times the drop in overall spirituality. We've got a problem. What about secular private institutions? Well, we won't send them to a state school. We'll just let them go to a private uh, secular institution. Here's what he, he found out as he surveyed that group. Students who choose to attend a non-affiliated independent institution, including secular private, state, Presbyterian, <laughs> And Catholic-affiliated institutions appear to experience the largest decline in overall religious commitment. Well, we'll just send our kids to Purdue. Please don't. Marquette, Milwaukee, we live there. Please don't. 
When Henderson surveyed 16,000 students from 133 different institutions, he discovered that more than 52% of incoming freshmen who identify themselves as born again upon entering a public university will either, this is 52%, they said they were born again, will either no longer identify themselves as born again four years later, or even if they do still claim that identification, will, have no, will not have attended any religious service in over a year. Do you think higher education matters? Well, certainly it does. It'll affect a life. It can prepare somebody for future, a future career, but it also can have a seriously detrimental effect on their spirituality. Now, what does this all prove? Here's what it proves. Christian education in many homes, churches, and institutions is failing to prepare young people to stand in this present age. That's what it's proven. In 33 years now of formal ministry, this is the first church where we haven't had a Christian school. In that time, the young people out of the churches, and, and again, I realize my experience is very limited, but the young people that, I, that have left the ministries uh, or have, have gone from our ministries to attend Christian colleges, I've seen all kinds of things happen. I will declare to you tonight that the local church does matter. When parents claim to know the Lord, but they are not committed to Christ, either parent not committed to Christ, the chances of the young person going on to serve the Lord are just about zero. If it's a home where, let's say, dad doesn't know the Lord, but mom is a committed Christian, or dad's a committed Christian, mom doesn't know the Lord, if in those homes where, where one of the two knows Christ, exemplifies Christ, obeys Christ, the chances of those young people going on for God are very, very great. Do you know where the best percentages come from? Where mom and dad are committed to the Lord, walk with the Lord, love the Lord. The chances are very great those young people are going to continue to follow Christ. In many cases, though, Christians have no desire to attend a Christian youth, I'm sorry, have no desire to attend a Christian college where there will be more Bible training and good discipline. I'm going to talk more about that later on in the series. But instead, career and cost, again, often motivated by financial aid, scholarships, career and cost govern the educational choices that are made. I think that's very unfortunate. We must realize that in many ways teenagers are still children when they leave for college. They are in the process of moving from being controlled by parents to self-governance. And they are moving from what Henderson calls an imposed faith to an owned faith. You young people living in your parents' homes, praise the Lord for the guidelines that they have for you. You're going to go to church. You're, you're going to do proteins. 
I'm going to ask you every day, have you had your God and I time? And no, you can't be with those friends. You need to choose better friends. And, and we're going to give you, you this guidance because we want our faith to be your faith. We don't want you to be spiritually shipwrecked. But the key is Christian educating so that the imposed faith then becomes an owned faith. And I confess that is not easy for parents, especially in a world that hates God. And sometimes even in churches, I don't think it's this way here, but sometimes in churches where you kind of stick out if you believe things too. Christians today must understand that if Christian education is to succeed, God will have to enable the church, the home, and the means of education to fulfill the same purpose, and that is to help young people have an own faith before they leave home. Now this is going to cost us something, and that's going to require more than dollars, okay? Okay? What is it going to cost us? I've entitled this message, The Real Cost of Christian Educating Our Kids. The Real Cost. Now, God promised to supply our needs, so God's going to meet the financial need wherever he leads them to train what he leads them to do. Okay? But if they're going to pursue the Lord's will and they're even, if they're even going to have a heart to train to do whatever God has called them to do, there is going to be a personal sacrifice that dad needs to make, that mom needs to make, and that frankly a church needs to make because even as young people come to our services, they're watching your example and mine. They're seeing our testimonies. So let's go over now to Daniel, the first chapter. If you're reading through the Bible you just read through Daniel. What a blessing uh, this testimony is. But in Daniel chapter 1, you'll be reminded of this story. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. Now this is the first time that he besieges it. There's going to be a second time when Jerusalem will be destroyed. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, the uh, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, and he, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed, and of the princes. So not everybody was taken captive this round. But certain ones, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge, and understanding science, and such as had the ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Let me just stop for a moment. They were looking for smart kids because they're going to teach them their worldview along with what they understood from science, their gods, 
Okay? They're, they're, they're going to make them Babylonians. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. We're given the names of these guys. Okay? Verse 7, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, even changed their names. Gave them pagan names. What are they trying to do? They're trying to change them to be something that God did not intend them to be. And what are they going to use? Education. You see a pattern here? Verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now why? Because all of this had been offered to pagan gods. Eating was participating. And Daniel and these other princes who were God-fearing they were not going to do that. Truth, God's truth, mattered. What a testimony these guys had for the Lord. We're not told how many Jewish princes were carried into captivity in Babylon. No doubt many more were enrolled in the secular training in that land, but we know of only four who had and owned faith. Do they have their parents looking in on them, emailing them, calling them? No. They're on their own. Just like a guy named Joseph who ended up in Egypt. Remember him? Okay. And owned faith that held them spiritually. If you know Jewish history just before this, there had been generations of parents in Israel who weren't willing to stand firm on biblical conviction. They didn't care. Even though they had great preaching. Ever heard of guys like Isaiah, Jeremiah, okay, Hosea? They heard great preaching. But it didn't make a difference. Now their children were paying the ultimate cost. Those who survived, some of them were now captives in a foreign land. Let's bring our focus back to here and now. In America, the seeds of Darwinism, Freudianism, humanism, we could mention other isms, have borne fruit, leading to unimaginable changes in society. Our education system here is a wreck. It's a wreck. Now, America is surviving, but barely. But we don't have an anchor because we decided we didn't need God. And it has gotten so bad that everything that is true is being called into question now. Evil is being called good, and good is being called evil. In fact, it's gotten so bad that those who, who, some who do not profess to know Christ, they are even saying it. 
when I announced this morning what I was going to be speaking on tonight, one of our pastoral staff said, sent me a text and said, hey, did you see this article on Fox News today? I hadn't, but here's the name of the article. Here's what it's entitled. Mother of New York City heiress paid deprogrammer big bucks after daughter brainwashed by college's woke agenda. An unsaved mom hired a deprogrammer to help her daughter start thinking right again when she got out of a secular college. And it goes through and it talks about, now she can afford to do this, she's a pharmaceutical heiress, uh, but uh, she hired a deprogrammer after believing her daughter had been brainwashed by attending an all-female elite liberal college that left the young woman totally indoctrinated and estranged from the parents who raised her. I left school very anxious, very nervous, this daughter writes, very depressed and sad. This daughter, now 29, recently told the New York Post, I saw everything through the lens of oppression and bias and victimhood. I came to the school as someone who saw everything equally, everyone equally. I left looking for injustice wherever I could and automatically assuming that all white men were sexist. My thoughts were no longer my own. That's her testimony. Now, the deprogramming worked. By the way, she only spent 60000 a year to go to this elite woman's school. And now the parent is paying a deprogrammer to deprogrammer. I could go on. You can go look at the, um, at the article yourself. But even the world is recognizing this. Where we want, whether we want to admit it, the change in society has also affected many Christians who have become like the world in varying degrees. Since fitting into the world is an unspoken tenet of the modern church growth movement and many colleges and universities, we just have to fit in. The appetite of many Christian young people for the world is only going to get stronger. Now those who strive to teach children to internalize Christ's likeness and not be conformed to this world will experience the following. And again, this is some of the cost, some of the sacrifice of truly educating our kids. If you truly try to do that, thus saith the Lord, here's truth, internalize it. This is where we stand. Christ was rejected by the world. Jesus said, if you follow me, they're not going to love you either. And when young people uh, are willing to internalize this and parents are willing to sacrifice and take this seriously, here's what we can expect. First of all, the attack by Satan. Think back to Daniel. In his day, when Satan couldn't corrupt the Hebrew children internally, then he just tried to destroy them physically. As I read through Daniel again this year, reading through my Bible, it struck me when, when three of these Hebrew children, these princes, are thrown into the fiery furnace, one's missing. Who is it? Daniel. Bible scholars think he was out doing the king's errand somewhere in the empire, but he, he wasn't around. There were three who were thrown into the fiery furnace. Did they survive? Yes. 
Had they internalized their faith, O king, we're not going to be careful to answer you in this matter. Our God said we're not to worship idols. If we die, that's okay. We're we're not going to bow down to your, your image. And oh, by the way, we also believe he's able to deliver us. And the whole time they're having this, this conversation with this king who is absolutely full of himself, he gets so red hot mad that he makes those furnaces so red hot that the soldiers who throw these guys into the furnace, they self-combust. That's hot. Yet these guys are walking around in, those fire, in that fiery furnace and Jesus joins them there for fellowship. And Nebuchadnezzar, didn't we throw three? I see a fourth, and he appears to be the Son of God. All right? Now, did Daniel escape? No, no. The empire is overthrown. Now the Medes and the Persians are in charge. And the princes who have seen Daniel's testimony, the testimony of these other guys, they hate Daniel. The only thing they can find to accuse him about is related to his faith, is the way way he follows God. And so they get the king to sign this decree that for 30 days you can't pray to anybody but to the king. So he had the same problem Nebuchadnezzar did. He thought he was a god. What happens to Daniel? Well, he just goes back to praying. He's thrown into the den of lions. Does God spare him? Absolutely. All right. We cannot dismiss Satan's efforts to derail effective Christian education in our homes, our churches, and our institutions. It's part of the sacrifice. Also, we need to expect this abandonment by those who profess faith in Christ but don't agree with a thoroughly biblical worldview. Do you know there are people that like to call themselves Christians, they just don't agree with all the Bible? Isn't it true? Well, that's Old Testament. That's legalistic. That's whatever. No, it's it's Bible. It's Bible. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not the only Jews before Nebuchadnezzar's image in chapter 3. They were just the only ones who refused to bow. There were a lot of Jews out there that went to their knees. In a similar way, many Christian families, churches, and institutions that uphold a biblical worldview are looking around and finding that their numbers are dwindling. We are up against this attitude that Christians have to change with the world in order to reach the world. But this attitude only betrays the reality that many Christians have bowed before the idols of secularism, intellectualism, and narcissism. Not partaking of the king's meat will seem extreme and eccentric. Unless, of course, a person knows the scriptures and hasn't forgotten that following the God of heaven means that you will be holy and different because old things are passing away. And how many things become new? Are you sure it's all things or just some things? God said all things become new. Well, we just, we just don't want to be too different. That is not the attitude in church history from separatists who love God. 
It's the attitude today. Well, 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 we don't want to offend. Well, we shouldn't be offensive, but you know what? The truth is going to offend. Jesus offends. Where's your loyalty? Truth will be the only thing that matters even if you have to stand alone. It should be that way. There are so many things today that are being said about racism, about gender, and so on. You know what? It's easy to cut through all that. Thus saith the Lord. Here's the truth. It may sound old-fashioned, but here's the truth, and here's where we stand. Church family, including you parents and grandparents, this will be the true cost of Christian educating your children. So let's close tonight with some practical helps needed to accomplish our calling of Christian educating our young people. If you'll turn with me to James chapter 1, and here's where we'll close out this evening. James chapter 1, drop down and look at verse 22. James 1.22, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for, or a mirror. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth the manner of man, what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of what? Liberty. Now let's just stop for a moment. Did you know that the Lord put law and liberty in the same verse? By the way, same God who told us earlier, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Yeah, free. Don't be deceived, folks. We live in a world that is in absolute bondage to sin and they're miserable. Fentanyl is not solving anybody's problems. A gender change isn't making life better. Sin destroys. Sin binds. It makes you a slave. And yet we look at the world and well, maybe they have something. They don't have anything there. If you look into the perfect law of liberty and continue therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer, uh, but a doer of the work, this man shall be what? He's blessed in his deed. That's God. Praise God for parents that say, no, here's the way and walk in it. And young people grow up to realize, you know what? Mom and dad were right. Because if we're left to ourselves, we bring shame on ourselves. We self-destruct. Praise God for parents willing to lay down guidelines and say, here's, here's the way, walk in it. It's liberating. I fear that we're missing or that we're raising deceived young people in some of our Christian homes and that they know what it is to be a hearer of the word but not a doer. Some are convinced that they'll miss out on life if they follow God's word. 
not realizing that his word is the perfect law of liberty. It leads to blessing, verse 25. Now, as we teach them to live their Christianity, we need to include the following areas, and then I'm done. I know our time is up. There are three areas that I see here in the text, and we're going to develop these. And I want you to write these down. You can put them in the margin here in your Bible, but uh, make a, a note on your phone, whatever, okay? Send yourself an email. Three areas that we're going to have to focus on in training our young people, Christian educating our children. First of all, write down the word, note the word logos. Logos is the word for word, all right? Logos. And own faith requires that a young person be able to define what God says. What does God say? Uh, one of the most helpful questions that you can ask your young person, mom, dad, grandparent, when they're deciding to do something, just say, stop, what does God say? Oh, you don't know what God says? Well, let's talk about what God says. Because that's the way that leads to life. That is the way where you stay under his protection. Doesn't matter what other voices are saying, what does God say? Now, based on what God says, that is what God says to think. Don't be just a hearer, be a what? A doer. Think this way. Philippians 4, 8, whatsoever things are true and honest and just and pure. And it goes right, think these things. Well, that's restrictive. Oh, but that's the way to think. And if you just back up in that passage, it's also the way that has to have peace that passes all understanding. What does God say? Think it. You can't recognize the counterfeit unless you know what is real. Paul warned Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.20, to avoid, listen, listen to this, profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. Let me break that down for us. Avoid worldly empty chatter and arguments that parade as science. Does that sound familiar? The parade is science, but oppose what God has said. Reject it. Well, he looks smart. She sounds like she knows what she's talking about. What does God say? Think that. Logos. Now, logos must be accompanied by a second word, ethos. Logos and then ethos. What is ethos? It's the governing principle that produces a strong inner man or woman. Ethos. Within man's flesh there dwells no good thing, Romans 7, 18. In order to please God, a believer must have a governing principle that is none other than the governing person of Jesus Christ's spirit, the Holy Spirit. Governing principle, governing person. 
Young people who, who will serve the Lord and stand for him need more than just strong inner character. Eventually, that's going to fail you. They need to know the realities of the indwelling Christ as a product of Christian education. And again, I thank God for the Christian education I receive. I'm so thankful for the sacrifices my parents and the, and the spiritual leaders in my life made, but I have to confess that I didn't hear the truths of sanctification in the spirit-filled life until I was an adult. I was a college student. That's too late. Try harder is what I heard, but in the flesh that doesn't work. It didn't work for me, and it won't work for today's Christian young person either. Many of you know who Jim Berg is. Many of you have read, changed into his image. When he came out with that book, I remember a conversation that my, I had with my mother, who's probably listening tonight, and she said to me, Son, I wish they'd come out with this book 20 years ago. How are we going to have ethos, a strong inner man? It's going to be when we're yielded to the God-man, Jesus Christ, who lives in us by his spirit. When a young person's new man and renewed mind are controlled by the Lord, he or she cannot be moved from what they believe from Christ. We need young people like Daniel who will say, I'm not going to defile myself. Well, it's, it's just food. It's just, just meat. Okay, no, no. Because if I eat that, you think I'm participating with your idolatry. No, thank you. By the way, that's a New Testament principle too. Or everyone else is saying, well, there may be some legitimacy to this and, and these, these theories that are out there. Well, uh, well, may, maybe there is a little evolution that took place back in Genesis. No, there's not. No, there's not. No, here's what God has said and here's where I stand. And I'm not trying to be belligerent or nasty or mean. Okay, I, I care about others, but the fact is I care more about what God says. Ethos. We need men like Joseph. How could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? No. Along with logos and ethos, then we need pathos. What is that? Well, that's, we need to be passionate and have aroused feelings when it comes to the things of God. Many are concerned that there is not a heart for God in many of our Christian young people. And this is where in preparation for the message tonight, God just again smote my heart. Isn't it true that as adults we get passionate about a lot of things? But do we get passionate about the things that really, really matter? In other words, if you're young people, you're a young person, have they ever seen you passionate about God? What our young people really need to see is that when it comes to spiritual matters and especially our relationship with Jesus Christ, we're passionate. 
pathos for Christ in a young person's life is only possible through a growing love relationship with him. Now, let me just speak to you young people tonight. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he sent Jesus here to die on a cross for you. Because you're a dirty, rotten sinner just like the rest of us. I was saved as a child. I did not realize how absolutely depraved I am in the flesh. The older I get as an adult, the more and more I understand I needed salvation because I deserved hell. I know what this flesh is. But as we heard sung earlier, Jesus came, he died on a cross, and he shed his blood. And you know what he did for me? He forgave me. Young people, I'm praying that God will help you understand in a, in a passionate way the forgiveness you have from the Lord. If he hadn't come, you'd be on your way to hell tonight whether you were living a hellish life or not, you'd be headed to hell. But Jesus took the punishment of your sin on himself and he died on a cross. He became your rottenness and my rottenness. Did he really become our sin? He sure did. In fact, his father turned his back on him and couldn't look. And he forgave you when you trusted him as Savior. And he rose from the dead so that you don't have to die. And every day he wants you to just come before him and talk to him and thank him and worship him and love him. Because he loves you with the same love that God the Father and God the Son share with each other. He loves you that way. Oh, man. You need to be passionate about that. And in these days when it is easier to be passionate about it, learn to walk with God because I believe the time is coming where you could pay dearly for what you claim to believe from the Bible. Now, this is where our example for our children falters the most, and I confess that before you tonight. We are passionate about so many things, but are we passionate about Jesus? Consider the change in the life of the woman at the well in John 4. What a testimony. She had been forgiven and had received the water of life. Then she ran into Samaria and excitedly told those who had shamed her, avoided her, and used her that she met a man that told me everything I did. Young person, you may have been saved at age eight. You may live to be 80. But you will battle the flesh every day of the rest of your life and your sin debt is just as serious as the man who was saved at 40. Half of his life was a life of sin as an unbeliever. 
When a Christian, young or old, understands how great Christ's forgiveness was and then walks in fellowship with Jesus, his or her passion for the Lord will grow to where they are willing to show it no matter what others think. And I'm praying specifically, and I would say to the adults in this church, you need to pray specifically that these young people will learn the word think the word that that will be their core about how they live and that they'll be passionate for the things of God by the way that is Christian education I would just insert here without getting off on another trail I went to a Bible college where at that time those who taught me were passionate about God. And I have never been able to get away from that. The problem is some Christians are like the Pharisees in that they know the law, they can identify a sinner, all right? That's logos. They even have a governing principle, ethos, that would prevent them from living an open life of immorality or whatever, but there is an obvious passion for the Lord. They lack the pathos. And you young people can give right answers. You can live clean lives. But that may not be God in you doing a work. And you can learn to be a compliant rebel, as Jim Berg talks about. And then when you are out on your own, all that goes away and you go live like you want. That's not what the Lord has for you. So if we're going to help young people flesh out their Christianity practically, we will have to be a model of spirit-filled living where we reason, we're governed by, and we have a passion for Christ. This is the real cost of Christian education. Well, I'll send my kids to a Christian school and I'll pay educators to do. No, 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 that's, that's not going to work. Not going to work. It's what we need to be in our own walk with the Lord. It's what our young people need to see in us. And if we allow the Spirit of God to use us and our children leave home with an own faith that causes them to stand like Daniel, like Joseph, the sacrifices of Christian educating our children will have been worth it all. I'm speaking to young people tonight that you do have a testimony, thank God for you. Some of you are courting. Uh, marriage is probably in your future. What you are now matters because it's going to be the kind of parent you will be. And going back to Psalm 78, this is our responsibility to continue to produce godly young people here. It does take a church. That's why God's plan is for this to be the church age. This isn't the camp age. This isn't the Christian school age. This is the church age. Where as parents, we walk with God personally 
And then in an environment of a spirit-filled congregation, young people are taught the word of God, they get to see it, they own it, and they go on to serve the Lord from the heart. May God help us to be willing to sacrifice so that we Christian educate our young people in a way that pleases God. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the examples in the scripture. Lord, we are faced with a great challenge. It's a challenge, a responsibility we cannot fulfill alone. We need spirit enablement. And Lord, as we close the service tonight, Father, would you help every adult here, every parent, grandparent, to recommit themselves to Christian educate the generations behind them, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And Lord, where that needs to start is by our example that we are passionate in our love for you, Lord, and our walk with you. Lord, forgive me where I haven't been passionate for you. Lord, forgive us when other things seem to be more exciting and more important than you. And Lord, would you enable every parent, grandparent, to make a difference as they impart truth to these precious young lives this stewardship that you've given us sitting around us tonight. Lord, when we get to our homes, help us to take time to talk to you about these things. Husbands and wives, parents, to discuss this with each other. And Lord, would you send out of our midst here Daniels and Josephs Hannah's, those that will serve you no matter what. Please keep us safe as we head to our homes this evening. We love you, Lord. Oh, for grace to love you more. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.